Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend. I am your host, Patrick, and my good friend is Eric. Follow us on Letterboxd. I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey. Each episode, we pick a film to watch together and secretly pick something to watch on our own inspired by that choice. Today's film is... The Death of Dick Long. Eric, it's time for your favorite game. What Arnold Schwarzenegger did you watch this week? Yeah, uh, this one is... I think you might get this one. 1984. I think Commando is 85. Mm. So, Conan the Destroyer? Nope, nope. Uh, It is a James Cameron. Oh, the Terminator. Yep, Terminator 1. What what a rookie Uh, move that was. I should have known that immediately. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's... um, it is, it's been a long time since I've seen this one, but it holds up really well. It's maybe looking back, you might not realize how much of a low budget film it is. You know, it's really not that they do a lot with a little money at the time. I mean, I don't know what it cost 10 million or whatever, but like it's a sci-fi big sci-fi movie with some really great action. And uh, just like a simple premise that works so well, Arnold was meant to be a terminator uh, he was probably built in a lab <laughs> and, and, uh, it's just really cool seeing, uh, Linda Hamilton before she got all, uh, buff in Terminator 2. Like this oh, is, yeah. she was shredded you know, the origin. Too. Yeah. 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 So it's just really cool to kind of see it. And, uh, after all these years, after being more immersed in the second movie for so long, it's a great movie. It is a great movie. I watched it probably in the last five years or so. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, no complaints, nothing to criticize. Mm-hmm. It was, it's just a really, really well done, you know, time travel action movie. Yeah, not yeah. maybe not as good as Time and, Cop, but you know, who knows? <laughs> if, if, if you Jean Claude instead of Michael Bean, maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, so, what struck me though is the line "I'll be back." This is the origin of that line, I believe. I believe it was the first use of it, yeah. And I've been watching a lot of Arnold movies lately. He says it in every movie, really. Yeah. I thought he just said it in like the Terminator no, movies. No, no. But... It's everywhere. <laughs> that, that was his thing. It's, it was like... It's just so weird. His trademark. Like Michael Jordan stuck his tongue out. Uh, you yeah. know, Arnold Schwarzenegger said, I'll be back. Right. But that it's just so weird that that's the line that, uh, that stuck after you know decades of arnold but uh yeah. i mean would you want arnold to come back for you <laughs> that's true uh, arnold don't leave please <laughs> <laughs> and if you do don't come back it's scary <laughs> uh, how about how about you eric have you uh seen anything interesting since we last I did spoke see something i'd like to talk to you about um Ooh. i saw so i've been going through the mission impossible film catalog uh since okay, i'm getting yeah. ready to see the new one coming out in a couple weeks timely yeah and i haven't i feel like all of those movies i've probably only seen one time and had a really good time and never watched them so yeah. it's probably been at least 25 to 30 years since i saw the first mission impossible and i was like you know what i'm okay. just gonna go through it because i think i've seen all these movies in the theater but never really watched them again 
Um, right. The first one was really well done. I thought it was fun. It was a good, you know, kind of yeah. throwaway popcorn movie. The second great sequences in that. Yeah. Uh, Brian De Palma. The second one, yep. John Woo. So I was like, I saw that and I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. It's three years after his greatest movie, Face Off. <laughs> you know, the one where I think I was introduced to the doves flying in slow motion around bullets or whatever, whatever he does with birds all the time. Yep, the John Woo stuff. Yeah. I thought this movie was pretty bad. It doesn't have a good reputation. I remember watching it in the theater and not really enjoying it, but you know, I was a teenager, so I thought maybe it would be uh, re reconsidered, you know, in our old age. But I guess not. I yeah, I did not appreciate it. Um, so I, I read some interesting things. I read that the mm-hmm. screenwriter Robert Town, who was like a really famous screen doctor, um, screen doctor, script doctor who he wrote Tequila Sunrise, Days of Thunder, basically Top Gun, NASCAR, the firm Mission yeah, top, Impossible top 1 guy. and 2. But he also like wrote scenes that were in The Godfather and Bonnie and Clyde and a couple other big movies. But oh, the wow. way he had to write this movie was he was given a list of action scenes John Woo wanted to film. And he had to write <laughs> a script around those scenes. And I think it really shows... And explains okay. why there were so many like just plot holes and things that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is this movie, the original cut was three hours and 30 minutes long, which is insane for the 90s. And that is crazy. that was not even like the rough cut. That was the cut that uh, John Woo submitted to the studio as like <laughs> that was never going to fly. Yeah. And he's so John Woo also recognizes that this movie has a lot of problems and he blames it on the studio coming back to him and being like, no, two hours, like a normal sane human being, John Woo. <laughs> right. I don't think either of those is really the problem. Mm-hmm. They just wrote a script and a storyline that like is so full of actions that don't make sense. Okay. Um, Tom Cruise, I guess it really, it's all the end because you think like this movie is over and then it keeps going for like another half hour of a motorcycle Uh. chase scene between Tom Cruise and the other crooked agent. Um, Right. But the problem is Tom Cruise tricks this guy because they always use those masks, which I really want to be a thing. So I never have to look like myself again. I mean, I want that too for you. I I appreciate that. Um, You know how hard it is to look like this. Like too sexy. Oh, oh, that's the problem. problem. Okay. Um, But he, he tricks the villain into killing his sidekick. Um, I guess the plot is really, there's some horrible disease and there's a crooked agent and he's trying to sell the disease to a terrorist for like a lot of money. Um, And that's basically it. So it's kind of like they're trying to get the disease Mm -hmm. and the cure because they need to have the cure. So whoever the terrorist is won't die when he unleashes this like instant death disease on the world. Right. Um, and he has to get the antidote to save the woman that he fell in love with, 
a, a fellow operative on this mission who had to go undercover because she's the the bad guy's ex-girlfriend so he has to steal the antidote but he has all the time in the world to just like kill the bad guy uh-huh. you know like he has the antidote he's in a mask he's standing behind the bad guy like the main villain there's a couple other guys in the room but like everyone thinks he's the henchman why doesn't he just kill everyone um yeah i guess they had more action scenes they needed exactly. to film after that it results in like this 10 minute which was like a cool motorcycle chase scene they do like a, a motorcycle karate fight for a second which was kind of cool yeah but it's just like why didn't you just do that at, at any other point in the movie and the, the movie is full of stuff like that like why did they do that when they could have just done this thing like early in the movie, mm-hmm. Tom Cruise is breaking in to try to destroy this virus while it's still in a lab. Um, right. And they do that thing where the the evil guy is saying, well, I know him so well. I know Ethan Hunt so well that this is what he's going to do. And he's narrating the plan as Tom Cruise carries it out. But they were doing this, even though it was cut together synchronously, like the bad guy was telling everyone his plan before Tom Cruise was doing it. Does that make sense? Okay. Like they know they're going to hit it tomorrow at 11. Here's what he's going to do, but they don't show up to prevent him from doing any of that. So he still does it. So he's still, (laughs) he's still doing it, but instead of having them like wait at the bottom of the tunnel where they knew he was going to emerge with a bunch of guns, which would have been cool and interesting, they just like uh-huh. barely stop him from destroying all of the virus. And he very well could have, if he wasn't just walking half a mile an hour for no reason, like, <laughs> he could have been whistling a song for, for as like nonchalant right. as he was about doing these things. Right. Right. And the movie is just full of stuff like that, where you're like, you know, the plan, why wouldn't you like blow up their helicopter with a missile? Mm-hmm. Like you have rocket launchers and stuff. Or why aren't you waiting to take Tom Cruise captive? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, movie over. <laughs> terrorists win. <laughs> yeah, terrorists win. The good guys wait. <laughs> so Mission Impossible for me has always been um, just a collection of set pieces. Yes. And the scripts, I don't care about as long as they get out of the way. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, as long as they just keep things moving. I don't really care what the MacGuffins are. I can't remember any of them. I just remember the cool action scenes mm-hmm. and and stuff. Um, so I guess in this case, if the script is just that bad that it doesn't get out of the way, <laughs> then that's a problem. And, like, that's yeah. the problem is you're rooting for all of, like, you're rooting for Tom Cruise and um, I forget his love interest's name. Uh, Mm -hmm. but you're rooting for them. You like both of them. They have like this cool chemistry and it's just so jarringly bad. Right. Right. Uh, Tandy Newton, by the way, is the love interest and she was great in this. Oh yes. Yeah. And tanned away. John Woo. Like if you showed me this and no kidding, if you showed me this and face off back to back, I'd be like, Oh yeah. He definitely learned a lot from doing Mission Impossible 2. But it came out four years after. <laughs> it, maybe it was just a different uh, producer's different budget. 
you know, that the bigger the budget, the bigger the profile movie, the less control the director tends to have, yeah. you know, lesser James Cameron. Yeah, it was especially disappointing because this, this is the movie that starts with the iconic rock climbing scene. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and it was like really cool. And then the rest of the movie. Uh-huh. Happened. <laughs> um, well, I'm a huge John Woo fan, but you know, me and Hong Kong action cinema. I love, I love, hong kong movies so uh, i saw hard boiled first i think by him which is amazing the killer is great and bullet to the head and there's a there's a lot of good movies he made before he came to america i think it just took him uh hit and miss once he was in the studio system you know yeah yeah it's really interesting because i know you're a huge fan of him um yeah and you know I, my favorite I american every movie that i knew that he made that i saw i remember loving as well like right. I unironically Except, love Face Off. Right. No, I love Face Off too. Uh, you know, my favorite American film of his though is Face Off. Is probably my second. You're gonna say something that's really gonna make me angry. Go ahead. No, Hard Target. Oh my God! Really? <laughs> I yeah, I love Hard Target. Hard Target. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just go back and watch those action scenes. I mean, the movie's goofy and crazy, and but like the, the action the scenes. And it out. <laughs> <he's>, yes. <laughs> when he like ride, jump, he's riding the motorcycle. Yeah. I mean, uh, the action scenes are incredible in that. Wow. My favorite Van Damme, <laughs> for sure. Wow. Well, I think I'll, let me talk about Mission Impossible 6, which I just watched. Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, kind of what we were saying earlier this the script for this one i can't even tell you what it was about because it just got out of the way and lets you enjoy some uh fun action set pieces the highlight in mission impossible 6 i think is the bathroom fight with him and henry cavill in bathrooms (laughs) (laughs) are you gonna watch true lies next in your arnold arnold arnoldathon Oh, is there a fight in a bathroom yeah. there? No, there remember. is. Don't play like you don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, the bathroom fight is really good. Henry Cavill's famous cocking the arms scene. And um, you get the uh, the halo jump and um, a bunch of other cool things. But what I liked most about that movie is the, f- the climax has like a 15-minute timer on it. They have to like, you know, do whatever in 15 mm-hmm. minutes. And you got like a couple different things happening at once. And it's just really exciting because it's set up clearly like, okay, we got to do this stuff in 15 minutes. And you really get to see Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt be just like a, like an unstoppable force. That's what I always liked about his character. It's like, he just never stops. And at the end of mission Impossible six, it is just, you can see it in his, face that he is just not going to stop going after this bad guy no matter what and he does crazy stuff to continue the chase and just a lot of fun i'm looking forward to the next one yeah because that the sixth one is the most recent right okay. yes mm-hmm. yep yeah yeah same thing i don't remember anything about that movie and i saw it in the theater whenever it was out yeah they're so enjoyable and, and yet sh- like just so there's nothing nothing beyond the action sequences, nothing special. There's nothing to remember. Right. Yeah. I don't even remember what the, the MacGuffin, I kind of remember the MacGuffin, but it's unimportant. (laughs) 
Um, so Eric, we watched a movie together, uh, Clifford, which I was very excited to make you watch. What a ride. <laughs> so yeah, Clifford, uh, 1994 directed by Paul Flaherty is the story of a young boy <laughs> who, uh, really just wants to go to dinosaur world and he's nothing. not the best we'll stop at nothing he tricks his parents into staying with his uh uncle no, 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 who no. is in the middle he basically crashes a plane with his parents <laughs> yes to land in la instead of hawaii <laughs> yes and then he goes to stay with his uncle uh who is a, a career guy who is in the middle of a a big, a big career move, and also uh, trying to get his relationship with his uh, his lady love, uh, Mary Steenburgen. But the joy of this movie, as you know, is that the young boy is played by what forty year old Martin Short. Martin Short, <laughs> <laughs> and it is played completely like that premise is completely serious. Like it's a comedy movie, but nobody. Uh, like mentions or talks about that the kid is an adult man. An adult man. <laughs> yes. This movie was so funny. I did not want to watch this. I can confess now. Um, okay. Okay. I had no idea what it really was, but I was like, I feel like that's going to be really dumb. I don't get this. And then we started yeah. watching it and it was hilarious. Hmm. Yeah, I think like if 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 it was just a normal kid, it would not have been that funny a movie. But just the when you're watching it and you see Martin Short's face and just how straight Charles Grodin plays it, uh, as it's it's just I don't know. There's some like weird alchemy that makes it so much more funny. Yeah, there was in like my a weird period in the early '90s where I feel like there were also a bunch of evil kid movies. Like, yeah, problem, problem child, child, right? Yeah, wasn't there one with uh, the kid from Tool Time? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, John I mean, they're this or whatever his name is. Right, I right. Remember these stupid names? Like the, <laughs> the earworm of a generation. Yep. JTT. Yeah, and Clifford. There was another one. I don't uh, the one with uh, Macaulay Culkin, yeah, the, yeah, good the good son. Yeah, there's like a whole <laughs> bunch of messed up, murderous children. In those yep, times. yep. Yeah, and then I don't know. Martin Short is the best one, I think. Just, just the commitment to the bit is really what makes this movie shine, and it, it kind of builds up to like a really weird climax. And I don't know. I don't know what to make of it, but I really liked it. Yeah. Same. So, Eric, is there anything else you want to talk about? I guess, uh, I mean, I'm ready for our main topic of discussion this evening. Let's uh, let's do it. It was one from your list. So what did we yes, watch? We watched The Death of Dick Long, um, 2019 by Daniel Scheinert, and it was written by Billy Chu. It's the so- story of a struggling garage band made up of a trio of middle-aged, talentless musicians who was forced to break up when one of their members dies after a night of partying, when a serially abused farm animal seeks revenge after years of torment. (laughs) The remaining members of the band try to hide their crimes from the law, their friends, and their families protect their beloved horse, Comet. 
<laughs> oh man, you jumped right into the lead there. <laughs> Which is funny because it, uh, I think it's like 50 some odd minutes in before you know how the friend actually dies. Yeah, you get to see the night of partying and then you see the morning aftermath or the late night where they're bringing their dying friend to the ER, dropping him at the uh, door of the hospital and then leaving. Yeah, that was a very confusing hard cut to me because the the beginning Mm -hmm. of the movie is basically like there's a very short scene and then a montage of these three (laughs) rednecks in Alabama just like getting drunk, getting high, lighting a couch on fire, as I can only imagine one does. Um, yep. And then they, they just go into this big, you know, building that I, I didn't know at the time was a barn, but it makes sense. Like, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. some industrial outdoor uh, animal pen or something. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just a hard cut immediately after this. Like, I think there was like a very brief title sequence to the friend in the yes. back of the car and blood everywhere. And you're like, what happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that kind of mystery hangs over the first half of the movie. That's the half that I really liked. I really liked the, uh, the people making bad decisions, kind of like a, you know, like a Coen brothers style mm-hmm. film where just these, these dumb characters are just getting worse, more and more in over their heads as to, uh, trying to cover up this crime that they may have committed. Yeah, absolutely. I, this is an A24 movie and I love A24 movies. Even if I don't yeah. like this one is complicated to me. I, a lot of A24 movies are like that where I'm like, I think I liked it. I definitely appreciate how it was made. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't, I just don't know if I liked the film. Well, I'm glad A24 is out there making these uh, movies that nobody else would make. You know, if you get, if you hear this premise as a, like a normal studio executive, it's not going to be made. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Um, they they hire these kind of like lesser known talents, um, mm. like this guy Daniel Scheinert did. Oh God, what did he do? He did Swiss Army well, Man. Well, now and he's... I mean, now he did Everything Everywhere All at Once, but that was three years after this. Like, just I don't, can I call this movie charming? Yeah, I mean, it has some charm for sure. I really like the like the small uh, the small town feel. You know, it felt like a very specific town, very specific people. Yeah, like this believable. So they they find the these like lesser known at the time talents and just like. They seem to just let them make the movie they want to make. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I don't always enjoy the movies, but I just feel like they're always there's like an A24 look, even if none of the movies look the same. Mm-hmm. Stylistically, I don't know. You could just tell it's like less, less common Hollywood style. Right, right. It's not low budget, but it's not, you know, yeah, it's not like Hollywood type indie, movie. But it's different enough where it just doesn't look like everything else that falls on your eyeballs. Yes. And the subject matter, of course. Of course. You know, we 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 didn't we didn't say specifics, but you know, we're spoiling this movie. The uh the Dick Long died because uh Mr. Ham. A uh, <laughs> what's that if you remember the early days of the internet there was a video called mr hands oh no i I am not familiar with this video 
Oh, it was. Okay. It's a video, I guess, of a, <laughs> of a horse uh, penetrating a man and uh, ruptured Dick Long's colon, and eventually he bled out and died. Yep. After they and, uh, comically try to drop him in the parking lot, uh, the mm-hmm. medical examiner played brilliantly by uh, Roy Woods, who from The Daily yep, Show. Yep. Um, you know, they, they find this blunt trauma to the back of his head, but they're showing him like they just dropped this guy multiple times in the parking lot <laughs> right. to like, <laughs> drop him at the hospital. And they can't even do that, mm-hmm. right? These bumbling idiots. <laughs> yep. And the whole thing with the, uh, like, the, he, they have his wallet, and then, you know, the, the cops kind of get involved because they keep digging this hole about a stolen car and a missing wallet. Yeah, and... do we want to go through this? Because it was actually, like, really funny how this built up to me. Um, yeah, yeah, go for it. The guy is, like, taking his daughter to school, and he had taken Dick Long's wallet out of his pocket, you know, so they couldn't ID the corpse or whatever. I mean, it seems like a very right. small town and they dropped him off at the local hospital. So I don't, I mean, I guess it makes sense. That's on par for these guys though. A little yeah, bit. Think yeah. through. But I did think through it Within enough the character. to take his wallet. Um, and his wife asks for some money the next morning and he's like, Oh, let me see what I got. And, and of course the dirt bag goes in his friend's wallet. And takes out five bucks, I guess, for the daughter's lunch or something. I forget. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they ask, oh, where'd you get that wallet? And he lies to them and says, oh, I found it at the bar. And his daughter's like, Mm -hmm. oh, you should give it to the cops. So he's like, I will. So he goes to drive her to school. She's covered in blood from the backseat of his car. (laughs) The cop pulls up and goes in. And the, the daughter sees this cop. And says, my daddy found a wallet and the, he's going in the store to like try to make sure the cop can't see her bloody back. So it is like very Cohen Brothers-y. Yes. Um, but yeah, from there, it's just like, yeah, OK, I'll give you the wallet. And they. He has to have his buddy drive his daughter to school. So he like starts to tell everyone, oh, no, that was not my car. That was my friend's car. So he tells his wife his car got stolen because of because they can't clean it, clean the blood out of the back seat. And it's just like a whole bunch of like tiny little lies that just build up and build up and don't make any sense. Right, right. And, you know, you know, he's going to get caught at some point, but you're like, you're on the edge of your seat, just waiting for it to like, maybe he can, (laughs) they can skate by, but no, uh, eventually, um, the, he, the wife kind of gets enough information that she's like, tell me what happened. Something happened. And then he spills the beans. Yeah. Because they called the cops over to report the car stolen, which he didn't want to do. But his wife was like, what are you crazy? We have to call the cops. We need our car. Right. Um, and yeah, he just like cracked at the end of that conversation, even though they didn't, they got called off on something else. I think, yep. was it the John Doe, the dead friend? They had to talk to the medical examiner to find out. I think that's when you yes. find out he got fucked by a horse. Yeah, because you find out uh, the medical examiner examiner and that guy are telling the story at the same time which is a cool little scene yeah yeah so once that information is revealed i think the movie kind of takes a downturn um definitely in pace 
it felt like the characters at that point were just kind of, the story was just kind of meandering to find a conclusion. Mm -hmm. Not much really happens after that besides like, I don't know, people moving around and talking and uh, trying to reconcile with this big bomb that was dropped. Yeah, it, I I would agree because I don't really remember what happened between them and the very end of the movie, which um, is a slow speed chase through the backyards of several Alabamans. <laughs> for yes. whatever reason, um, he's being chased by the deputy, the female deputy, who who had like a really nice character that I liked. Yes, her character. The two cops were great. Like every character, I really liked. They were just so unique and like, I don't know, specific. Yeah. Um, he's trying to set the horse free for reasons I don't understand, <laughs> um, and just gets arrested. So here's the part that I didn't quite understand. Okay, so this horse has been, uh, you know, you being used to pleasure men for years. Apparently, um, they didn't really explicitly say but the main character has he had relations with the horse he did mention how well he was lonely so he said they don't go into the acts that they have been performing on or with the horse but he did say right. and i don't know why he'd lie about it mm-hmm. he said that last night was the first time that any of them had done that that right so i don't know that any of but, them had been penetrated by the horse but like he definitely says something like uh when he's trying to reassure his wife that it's nothing to do with her he's like well we've been doing it for years before i even knew you yeah exactly so like so i was a little yeah it's a period of uh sexually engaging with an animal in some way that's never made clear right Okay, yeah, that's that's that was my read as well. And I think my read of the ending is that he does have real love for this horse and he's like, I don't I don't know what's gonna happen to this horse now that everything's come to light. Run free, comet, <laughs> run away. <laughs> Live your life. Live your life without fear of being sexually assaulted. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, because there is one scene of him grooming the horse where you can tell he has real affection for the animal. So I think that was what he was trying to do at the end there. Yeah. I think that's basically the only thing that happens actually after he gets, has that conversation with his wife, he goes and grooms the horse and the wife of their friend who died. Dick Long's wife, Dick Long's wife, another charming little Southern lady. Um, yes walks in on him topless grooming (laughs) right and she thinks nothing of it and then they (laughs) they just go back to his house and that's that's it that's the movie and then yeah the cop comes and figures it out and there's one little scene after that where it's revealed that uh nobody's pressing charges or going to jail because of the embarrassment it would cause the entire community basically Right, right. I forget what she said his death certificate said. Tragic misadventure or something like that. Yeah, death by misadventure. (laughs) Which is like definitely how I want to die. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, I 
I hope that for you as well. <laughs> You're really wishing me a lot of uh, positive things today. I, I like it. I mean, that's what friends are for. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have anything else to say about the death of Dick Long? Um, no, I thought it was a, you said charming. I think it was charming. I like the small town charm. I love this. Like I said, the specific characters, I think the last act or the last half kind of dies, but overall I enjoyed it. Three stars. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think I liked it more than you. Actually, I know I did based on our star ratings. Um, it's just (laughs) as ridiculous as the situation was, I felt like all of the characters were written like real people. Like you could see mm-hmm. these three guys just being morons, like just a bunch of <laughs> right. dudes getting drunk in, in a rural community. And, you know, as wild as what they did was like, they seemed like real people. And I just thought it was so mm-hmm. well made. So I gave it like a three and a half, maybe a four on a good day. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I know you're excited to talk about your second movie, right? I am, but I'd like you to go first. That's what I was going to say, because I think you're more excited than I am. Not that I didn't like the movie I chose. So I really liked the uh, the characters and that small town feel and like that kind of low budget, like very specific time and place. So I found a movie. um from 2007 directed by Jeff Nichols called shotgun stories, which is a similar uh, vibe. And um, I'm a fan of Jeff Nichols. He makes very like uh, specific movies that take place in, in like the kind of the area he grew up in. He made mud and take, take shelter and midnight special. He's a really good director. And this is his first film starring Michael Shannon. And it's about this takes place in this very small town in Arkansas. And it's kind of a slow burn of a movie. Michael Shannon plays the head of a trio of brothers. um, Very soft-spoken, very uh, not letting out any emotions. When he learns that his father has died and you get the feeling that his, he is estranged from his father. All the brothers are. They go to his funeral and Michael Shannon basically goes up in front of the funeral. And you can see that this, his father now had, has like another family, sons, a wife, etc. Michael Shannon goes up to the front of his funeral and basically says that, you know, you think this guy is good because he found God and stopped drinking, but he was, he was a piece of crap and he was a horrible person and he deserves to die. He basically says it like that in a Michael Shannon I way. I knew I met Michael Shannon. <laughs> yeah. And then he spits on the grave. And that act, like that, that act of disdain for that guy, starts this feud between Michael Shannon's trio brothers and the brothers from the, the sons from the new family. Mm. So they're really half brothers. They have the same father. And... It's kind of, it's very biblical in a way, very Shakespearean, you know, like you can feel the inevitability of these two, um, the revenge that you just know is going to happen. You know, Hatfield and McCoy type thing. They have some altercations and it gets worse and worse. And you just know someone's going to die and then someone else is going to die. And this feud is just going to be never ending. <laughs> and that's what the movie's about. It's a slow burn kind of leading you through that. Uh, great performances, great small town feel. A little slow, 
a uh, little amateurish in, in its um, in its feel. It kind of feels like they're trying to be very uh, important and artsy sometimes, and it doesn't quite work, but still a strong, strong first movie. And it's always good to see Michael Shannon. Yeah, I love it. Whenever I run into that guy. Do you ever, were you running into Michael Shannon? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> as much as I can legally. <laughs> cool. Well, that's it. Shotgun stories. Awesome. How about you? I went in a completely different direction. I okay. liked the premise of a, a night gone horribly wrong. Um, yes. This is a movie that has been on my radar for about 25 years since it came out in 1998. And I just never got around to seeing it. I think I know a couple people who've seen it. Do you have any idea what movie I might be talking about? My first pick would be Very Bad Things. You are correct. Wow. Oh, wow. Good job. <laughs> I, saw, I, I saw it a long time ago. Yeah, I, I never don't remember saw much. For all I know, you're the one who told me the premise of, um, mm-hmm. well, let's get into it. Kyle is getting married. So what does any self-respecting bachelor do? I mean, a bachelor party. Of course. So (laughs) what happens in every bachelor party? The stripper. Yeah, There is a stripper. And what (laughs) happens to the stripper at bachelor parties? Oh, usually nothing, but not this time. (laughs) (laughs) This time uh, they get accidentally murdered slash i guess not really murdered killed while having sex get chopped to pieces and buried in a piece of luggage in the middle of the desert outside of las vegas next to a hotel (laughs) security guard who just so happened to get murdered with a corkscrew after stumbling into the crime scene oh god (laughs) yeah uh so double murder the whole premise is demented i loved it and it keeps like spiraling from there so basically uh this is this has like a really impressive cast for the time for 1998. Uh, Christian Slater plays this kind of like psychotic real estate agent who is like <laughs> the bad friend of the group. Um, Daniel Stern and Jeremy Piven play these two brothers who have like a really competitive, dysfunctional relationship. Um, and they're co-workers with John Favreau, who plays Kyle Fisher, and he's the guy getting married. It's his bachelor party. Right. Um, Christian Slater, who I rem- this is like I think the tail end of him being very relevant in Hollywood, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just plays this character who is driving all of the action. Um, I feel like I don't know exactly how many murders there end up being in this movie, but I think it's like five, and he commits four of them. Just to try to like <laughs> seal up all of the, the the people who like start to crack. Daniel Stern does a great job as um, this neurotic guy who who can't deal with the trauma of what they did. They're at. Uh, I can picture that. Yeah, his brother is played by Jeremy Piven, who's like definitely alluded to be have been kind of like the fuck up of the family, and he is obviously the mm-hmm. one who fucks the stripper to death. <laughs> um, so they're like constantly fighting about it there's so much tension all the time and Christian Slater's just like this dead calm like don't worry about it I'll take care of it and that generally involves murdering people 
<laughs> and it's all played against the backdrop of Cameron Diaz being this extremely. I wouldn't call her like a bridezilla, but she is definitely like, I'm getting married no matter what. She finds out what happened in Vegas, mm-hmm. like right before the wedding. And she's like, I don't care. We're doing it. And even in the face of like all of these people dying because the people involved in the murder start getting killed. She's like, no, we're not canceling the wedding. So she is also just a complete nut job. <laughs> and yeah, it's the kind of movie uh, where they do horrible things, but nobody gets away unscathed. So like, you're okay with it. I just watched a black comedy of terrible people doing terrible things, but at the end they, they mostly get theirs as well. That is super cool. I um, haven't. It's been so long that I don't remember the specifics, but I remember kind of feeling the same way you did. Like it's, it's horrible, but it's very funny. It was, it was very funny. Yeah. Yeah. So it's worth revisiting. Cause this is one that I always thought, you know what? I probably shouldn't watch that again. <laughs> yeah. It was almost like um, American psycho meets the hangover. Now that that's a great mashup right there. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I didn't know what to expect. It was darker than I thought it was going to be. And then mm-hmm. I don't want to get too much into the end. Uh, essentially mm-hmm. the way that everyone dies except for John Favreau and his one friend, um, Charles, but mm-hmm. they get paralyzed and lose their legs in a car accident after disposing of more corpses in the desert. Nice. And it ends with this, you know, they didn't do a great job of, I don't think they needed to, but this, this ending almost makes it seem like um, Cameron Diaz was a gold digger because she is obviously very unhappy with her life as her husband, John Favreau is in a wheelchair because he has no legs below the knee. And mm-hmm. they, they, Inherited is not the right word, but they became the legal guardians of Daniel Stern's children when he and his wife were murdered. <laughs> so they've got these two kids. One of them is a special needs kid. Although, oh my God. I don't know what the disability was because he just had braces and a helmet, but he was not, they were not going that 90s route of uh, just having him be, you know, developmentally challenged. Right, right. Um, which was actually kind of fun to see this kid who had braces and was just like a shithead <laughs> more nineties, horrible children. Yeah. Yeah. He was a horrible child with a disability. So you couldn't even call him a horrible child without feeling. Bad about it. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Yeah. I enjoyed it. But at the end, like there was like this little cartoony scene of her just like running into the middle of the road, screaming that kind of uh-huh. the rest of the movie, I thought, but yeah. Yeah. Good movie. Okay. Cool. Cool. Glad you saw a winner. Yeah, solid solid three to three and a half. Nice. All right, Eric. So uh are you ready to pick a movie for next episode? I already I know did. We... and I'd like to play oh, okay. would you like to play a game? <laughs> sure. Okay, I want to read you some uh notable lines from the reviews of this movie on oh, Letterboxd. God. And I want to see if you can guess it. I'll give you the year, 1987. Okay. Um, Ned Beatty's apparently in this film as well. 
Do you have any any guesses hmm. based on just those two? 87, Ned Beatty, no. Okay. Quite possibly the best killer monster truck movie you're likely to see. Oh, is it? Um, oh, I know what movie it is. I can't remember the title. It's the, the only killer monster truck movie that exists. <laughs> the one about like the monster truck with the AI or something that comes to know. life. Carlo V says, me every time the giant killer truck bursts through a wall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not going to remember the title, but it's a very low budget looking poster. Uh, I, I think there are high production values in this poster. Oh, okay. Then I'm thinking of a different it movie. Looks like a truck has a penis. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, no, I have no clue. I do not know. I put it on my watch list, so it's, I'm sure it's, it's going to be great. It is the film is Rolling Vengeance. Rolling Vengeance. A truck driver builds a special eight-ton monster truck to help get revenge against the rednecks who killed his family. Oh wow. Okay. This looks great. What if Paul Kersey had a really big fucking truck instead of a gun? Your answer is Rolling Vengeance <laughs> Death Wish, but with a monster truck. <laughs> nice from the director of mazes and monsters <laughs> how could it be bad yeah oh good pick eric i am uh excited to watch something that i don't even remember putting on my list well how does it feel because that's what you've been doing to me every single time <laughs> i already think i know what my pick is gonna be i've never seen maximum overdrive Oh, okay. Okay. Well, we'll have to see. I'll give something else a fair chance to worm its yeah, way in there you know, when I watch this movie. But yeah, don't decide until afterwards. You know, um, I mine will not be Maximum Overdrive because I got to see it at a twenty-four hour horathon where it played like gangbusters at that <laughs> because it's a very fun movie uh, with the right crowd. Yeah, I feel like coked up Stephen King was a really great writer, but apparently a horrible filmmaker. Yes. Um, he is very well, open maybe about, we'll... like barely remembering making this movie. Yes. He was <laughs> doing so much cocaine and drinking so much at the time. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, he admits to how terrible this movie is and has, is a pretty good sport about it, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you think he's done enough of other uh, things that got a lot of good critical acclaim that he doesn't have to worry. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Such Sights to See, along with my other projects, can be found on ProLeary.com. On Letterboxd, I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey, because I'm longer. Thanks for listening, and as always, have a good night and sweet dreams. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.